would please follow in the reading of the word of the Lord. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I would have been commended by you, for in no respect am I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even though I am a nobody. Father, help us to see this. Help us to understand. Give us ears to hear. Open our spiritual lives to the amazing truths of this man, that, Father, we may follow the Apostle Paul, who followed Christ. We love you, and we praise you in Christ's name. I stepped into this last week, how God uses suffering. And I kind of give you a framework to look over and to think about. I also wanted you to see that it is normal. Uh, you are either in suffering trials and tribulations right now. You are either coming out of them right now or you're getting ready to go into them right now. All right. So when you're going through it, my question is going to be the same as, as the Apostle Paul is defining here. What is God's purpose for this? And that's what we've got to pay attention to. Now, remember, I want you to keep the context of what we're dealing with. It's chapter 10 through 13, and it's spiritual warfare. And yet, in the midst of spiritual warfare, God is going to use things in each of our lives to prove himself and also to do what we have here in verse 7. And that's kind of what I want to step back into today because I want you to think about this. It, you know, I have been truly blessed. I, I get to, to sit and digest and read and tear apart and research all kinds of stuff in the Holy Word. I mean, there, it just don't get any better. All right? But it is amazing what people are willing to put down on paper. Because I read some of this and you're like, oh, dude, what planet did you just fall off of? Now, listen, I don't claim to be a theologian. Okay, I do not have the gift of knowledge. All right. I depend on those with the gift of knowledge. All right. But I want you to know this from all that I am. I'm a simple man. All right. I do not believe God wrote this book. To make it so complicated, none of us would ever figure it out. I believe he wrote it simplistically. And when you start trying to get it more complicated, 
you're going to end up surrounded by ATF and Waco. I'll let you figure out what I just meant by that. All right. But I just want you to think about this for a second, because when I read this, I think about God's use of suffering. And he uses it in his people. He has done it for centuries. So you're not immune. And one of the things that I have watched the Apostle Paul in the time that I spend with him. When I see the faithful. Invest their lives, invest their energy, invest their love, and they do it sacrificially. All right. Then when they are turned on, when they are betrayed, there is no other experience like that. Nothing that you can endure is like being betrayed by someone you have sacrificially poured your soul into. There's no no experience like it. And you know what? That's what Paul's dealing with in this text. The suffering of Paul. Okay? And it, what's, what's amazing is, we're just going to kind of get into verse 7 a little bit, and then I'm going to bring all of it over the next months or so, how it all comes back together. But verse 7 you see why Paul was suffering. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Fascinating. The suffering that the Apostle Paul is referring to here is a messenger sent to torment him. Listen, when I read a verse like that, I immediately say, what in the world is he talking about? And so I did some research on it, and I was kind of surprised there is an awful lot of conversation on this. Amazing conversation. I will not go into each of them's defense, but I will give you the ones that they were actually had what they believed was relative scripture to defend these things. All right. But I'm not going to get into them. And I'll tell you why in a, in a minute. Because what I really learned was um, this affliction, this thorn in his flesh has endless viewpoints. Okay. What was bothering Paul? What was tormenting Paul? Okay. Now, I'll give you some of these that. Great minds have come up with. Some believe that the thorn were headaches. Some believe that the thorn was lust. Some believe that it was eye problems. Now, these guys all had different verses that they would try to validate what this was. Some believed that it was epilepsy. Some believed that it was malaria. One writer... Believed it was a loss of hair. One writer believed that it was hypochondria. One believed that it was gallstones. Some believed that it was gout. Some believed that it was sciatica. Rheumatism. Some believed it was leprosy. Some believe that it was stomach problems. 
Some believed that he had a problem with lying. Some believed that it was deafness. Dental infections. And even stuttering. Okay? And it goes on and on and on on the thorn in the flesh. All right? But you know what? I think they're all crazy. I think they're all wrong. Just in case, if there's not enough information in a text to define it, then deal with it. <laughs> I have to, that's, that's my simplicity. When you deal with that range that all these different authors have, when I was a climber and was very into it, we had a, a, a statement that I believe is similar to a lot of these great knowing people. We call it grabbing air. Okay, and I'll let you ponder what we meant by that. But when you were a climber, there were certain times on rock faces that you were grabbing air. Okay, which really slows your progress. All right. What is Paul saying here? What is this thorn? Okay, now... When I look at the Greek word for thorn, and I told you last week that I have been in Israel where they've got these beautiful bushes that uh, they're amazing because they have these little bitty uh, delicate flowers. They're only about that big around. But what is so cool about them, you know, like a bush that have purple ones on it. This thing will have orange ones on it, white ones on it, red ones on it, and lilac colored ones on it. And they're all over the place. And I mean, the bush is just this, it, it looks like a bouquet. All right. The problem is it's got these harpoons all over it. Okay. The thorns are about that long. Okay. And they guard all of these beautiful flowers. And you just look at it. You're like, I ain't sticking my hand in there. (laughs) I I don't want no part of that. Now, normally when I think of thorn, that's what I think of. Okay. Here's the problem with that definition of this text. Where is he at? He ain't on the border of the Negev. He's in Ephesus. I don't know if Ephesus has got those kind of plants. Because this looks like something you'd see in the desert. Ephesus is not a desert. All right. So when we think of a thorn, here's the thing that I, I, that here's how my reasoning works. I know Paul is not saying that his deepest suffering, the deepest pain of his life, his greatest agony it's like sticking his finger on a rose bush. Okay? He said, I had so many revelations and so many visions that the Lord had to humble me. So he pricked my finger with a thorn? Okay? And that's going to make me weak. Okay? I'm thinking that I ain't what Paul's talking about. What do you think? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll have my finger. I... I weak now. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking that Paul ain't doing that. All right. This word can also mean something else. It can mean a stake. A long wooden shaft sharpened at the end like a pencil. Okay. It is used often to make fences. When you would put fences together, you could take a, this stake and run it through and it tie everything together in the hole in a post. Okay. It could also be used to impale people, to torture people. Okay. 
It is used sometimes to uh, publicly execute somebody. They would drive one through a person's chest. I think that's what the Apostle Paul is speaking of, is a sharpened wood shaft to impale somebody. All right? He's telling us that he's going through some troubles right now, and it's like having a stake driven right through him. All right? If you read your text, this is a New American Standard. It says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. The Greek syntax and the Greek word there that we translated, the NAS translated in, is actually the word for. So it would be a thorn for the flesh, to impale the flesh. If you spend time with the Apostle Paul, it is very clear in his meaning of the word flesh. Okay, If you're not sure what the Apostle Paul means by the flesh, I recommend to you Romans 7. He defines it extraordinarily simply. All right? It is his unredeemed humanity. Um, in this letter, he called it that earthen vessel, that clay pot. It would be our sinful tendencies, even though we are a new creature in Christ, even though we are a new man in Christ, we have this flesh that we are in. It, uh, Spiros Zodiades made this statement, I quote, the inner, the new inner man is jailed in an unredeemed container, unquote. And if you're really honest with yourself, isn't that spiritual warfare? Right? It ain't going out and grabbing Satan by the nose and kicking him in the drawers. Spiritual warfare is the inner redeemed man fighting the outer unredeemed man. It's like I don't have to go look for a demon to fight. Alright? I struggle with myself. Listen, your flesh, whether you will admit it or not, I know some of you believe you've reached sanctification. But in case you haven't, your flesh has this bad habit. It rises up. It all of a sudden wants. It all of a sudden demands. It all of a sudden mandates. It wants a moment in the sun. What about me? Now, I know you guys don't deal with that. I do. Okay? I mean, I'm trying to get a battery for my motorcycle. I'm trying not to kill somebody in the process. Are you telling me I got there's one battery on the whole planet and I ain't got it? All right, so you want me to just push this thing around? It will demand its way. So the flesh, when I read this, and he says there's a thorn for the flesh, it is an unredeemed humanism. It's the humanistic part that each of us is. It's not just the physical. Please understand that. He's already dealt with the physical. Remember chapter 11, 23 through 27? Shipwreck, beaten, danger in the country, danger from my countrymen. Remember all those? Right? That's the physical. Remember, he transitioned after that. What is it? My daily concerns for the church. When someone is weak, how can I not be weak? 
When someone is coerced into sin, how can it not hurt me, affect me? So he's moved away from the physical side. So the flesh is that unredeemed part. And it's not just the physical. It's those. And I don't have a better way to phrase it. I call it impulses. Okay. I know you guys who've reached sanctification don't have these. But some of us still fight impulses. Okay. If you get in traffic at times, don't you have wonderful impulses? Okay. That's why God never gave me a tank. Okay. Because I would fix my impulses. Cut me off, eh? Fine. How about I squash the back of your car? Not the front of your car. I'm not going to hurt you. But I'll leave you sitting here or dragging your rear end down the road. Okay, because I've run into a few of those. Every once in a while, you're like, well, what was your problem? I love it in the snow. Four-wheel drive, they go by. It's like light rail. And then you see them sitting in the ditch and you blow the horn and you wave bye-bye. <laughs> we have impulses that are sinful. That is where our temptations land. That is the same... You know what is, I, I rejoice about this? The Apostle Paul has the same struggles, the same battles as each and every one of us. I like that. I like that. See, what he's telling you and I here in this verse 7 is that the Lord uses this tremendous suffering literally to impale Paul's proud flesh. Think about that. I remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that drives me nuts more that I cannot tolerate more than anything, okay, is pride. It's pride. I, I, I detest it. But you know what's really cool about it? God hates it more than I do. Okay, so I always let God deal with it. Now, you may want to come and boast to me and brag and... Blow your horn, but know this, as soon as you leave, Lord, would you please break them of their pride, is my prayer. Okay? Because if you try to break somebody of their pride, you will have your hands full. Alright? But what I have watched is the Bible says, pride comes before the... Okay? And you know how many times? I cannot begin to tell you how many times I have watched that. I remember seeing a preacher one time down at Glorietta. And I had just got done having a conversation with Dr. MacArthur. And I just said, I have a couple of questions for you. He said, great. And we sat and chit-chatted the whole time. Here's Dr. MacArthur talking to me. Okay? So this other guy, a Baptist preacher, if I said his name, everybody know who he was. He, I said, I wanted to talk to him. I had a couple of questions for him, too. So I walked up to him. And he blew me off like he didn't have time for me. You ain't nobody, and I'm busy, and I'm going to preach today. Leave me alone. And that's basically how he treated me. He walked away. I was like, wow. Gee whiz. So he gets up to preach, right? I'm sitting there. This place is packed. There's thousands and thousands of people there. And he reads the text. I don't even remember what he read. I don't even know what he's going to do. That's how powerful it was. Okay? Because he stepped out from in front of the pulpit, and his shirt tail sticking out of his zipper. And you're just like... At first, first look, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and then after that, you're like, pride goes before the fall. Okay. And, and I couldn't even, I could, I had to leave. I was like, I can't handle this. <laughs> okay. And uh, he was powerful preaching, but you just sit and you look at him and you go, oh, my God. 
<laughs> Do you dare say anything? So if you watch me, anytime I get ready to preach, I'm always doing this. You know, I don't want my drown step into that bus. <laughs> anyway, back to important things. The Lord used this tremendous suffering to impale Paul's proud flesh. Okay, I want you to note something here. There was given to me. You know what that means? He didn't go get it. Okay? If you have a pride problem, how many of you are going to stand up and say, you know what, I need to go get something to impale myself with so I won't be proud. Okay? God allowed this, whatever this thorn is, in Paul's life, this stake, to keep him from being proud. Look at, and this is God. Look at verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times. Where did he get it? The Lord gave it to him. Why? Because he asked three times that the Lord would remove it. So it's obvious that the Lord had allowed it. Okay? I know he's not speaking of the physical, this thorn. Okay? He's already dealt with the physical in chapter 11, 23 through 27. All right? But he has moved now on his concern for the bride of Christ. Something by the purposes of God. Now think about this for a second. I want you to ponder this. Something by the purposes of God ramming through his sinful tendencies. Wow, it just doesn't sound like the God that everybody loves and cherishes and grace and mercy and everything else. Trying to nail your hide to a wall. And it was to keep him from exalting himself. Now listen, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Who was he? Who we're talking here? Now this, we already talked about it. He'd been to heaven. I got news for you. That would cause anybody to exalt themselves. Or write a book. Or make a movie. That would just about exalt anybody. Just that. Now, I went to heaven. I don't know where it's in the body. Out of the body, God knows. But I went. I've seen things there. We don't even have words to describe. There ain't nobody would guess where I went last night. Huh? Well, you were sitting at home watching cable TV. I went to heaven. But if you think about the Apostle Paul, look at the number of church plants that he had. Look at his success. His success was staggering. I mean, how would you like to go to the seashore or the river shore and a bunch of women are out there cleaning clothes? You share the gospel and birth a church. I mean, if you go look at his success, it's everywhere. Everywhere he went, a new thing started. Did you notice that? Now, it could have been a church or it could have been a riot. But a new thing started everywhere this man went. Now think about it for a minute. Some of you in this room are spiritual fathers. Okay? Some of you. Some of you may be spiritual grandfathers. Or you might be a spiritual uncle. Now you think about it, the writing of the New Testament, Paul was either the spiritual father, grandfather, uncle of the entire Gentile world. 
He had something to do with every believer in the Gentile world. You grab that for a minute. That's kind of like a success story. Think of his influence that he had. And it's just mind-numbing. Okay? Yet, Paul was still human. And as a human, I know you guys who have reached sanctification don't realize this anymore, but... As a human, there are tendencies to be proud. And God took a stake to his proud flesh. And it was going through in a way, you know, he was going through in a way that we should all hope we never have to. I hope none of us get proud enough that God has to take a stake To our proud flesh. So what is this stake? And I tell you what. (laughs) This thorn. I I told you. I I, I read. I heard it was an ex-wife too. One guy said it was his ex-wife. And I was like. Yeah there's a stake in the flesh. I'm a simple man. I'm pretty sure. If I read this right. The phrase defines the stake. A messenger of Satan. To me, that just didn't seem like that was that hard to discover. Okay. The word there, messenger. Are you ready for this? A math test for glory. Are you ready? Hang on tight. The word there, messenger, is anglios. You know what we translate it in English? Angel. Okay. That word, anglios, is used 188 times in the New Testament. If I remove this one, that would be 187 times in the New Testament. Out of 187 times, remember, I'm not going to use that one here. 187 times, it means a person. 180 times of the 187 times, it is an angelic person. So this would be an angel. And it always refers to whatever. If you use all 188 times, it refers to a personal being. Okay, now then, if I go to Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, in that, it's referring to humans. Anglias, messengers. So, other than those two times in Revelations... It always, in the New Testament, refers to an angelic being. This text is not an angel from God. It's not the cute ones that look like a girl and wings and long hair and very effeminate. Okay. This one here is from Lucifer. We have a name for them. Demons. The Apostle Paul's flesh is being staked to humility by a demon. So the demon is the thorn. The demon is the stake. If you go to the Septuagint, okay, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The word thorn is used, are you ready? Four times. Stake, four times. Guess what? Three of the times, it's a person. 
One time, this lady stakes this guy's head to the floor of the tent. Other than that, it was always a person. So, Paul may be using this Jewish traditional use of the term. We use it today. That person is a real thorn in my... Right? It's not like it's new. All right. So it was a person who was driving this stake through the Apostle Paul. Who was it? It was demonic. That's the context. All right. Now, listen, I want to be really clear here. This text does not say that Paul had a demon. Okay. in fact, in fact, if you're really honest, let's be realistic here. Okay. A demon would not seek to humble Paul. Think about it. A demon would exalt pride. It would exalt boasting. Because boasting and pride are absolutely useless to God. What are you going to boast about in the sight of God? Were you there when I flung the stars into the heaven? You weren't? Oh, So you're boasting of what? Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I set the measure on the seas? You weren't? What are you bragging about? A demon would not seek to drive a stake through his unredeemed flesh, neither. A demon would go after his spiritual life. Okay, this is not a demon in the Apostle Paul. Paul is godly. Okay, this is not a physical illness, nor a possession. The context, the context, the context. What's he dealing with? False teachers in Corinth. What they were doing in Corinth under the influence, under the the power of one of Satan's demons was tearing up, ripping the church, crushing the church. It was a catastrophe. And God was using this turmoil in the body of Christ to drive a stake through the Apostle Paul's pride. Alright? I'm going to give you a little footnote here. Just in case. If you have had many visions and revelations, you should expect a stake driven through your flesh knowing that God will deal with your pride. Just a warning. You look at this church and you see how the air infiltrates the church. It's the doctrine of demons. Okay? The leaders of the false teachers... What I call the experts, okay? Church is full of them today. They're everywhere. They had taken charge of the Corinthians, and under the influence, they were either under direct influence of a demonic, of a, a demon of Satan, or they were possessed by Satan. Let me show you again. Remember in our context, chapter 11, verse 13 and following. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising 
if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, who end will be according to their deeds. Right? That was the Corinthian church. That's what these false teachers had done. Look at Corinth. They were attacking the Apostle Paul's credibility so that their error would be accepted. And it tormented the Apostle Paul. It was killing him. God was allowing Paul to be tormented by a demon. You ever think about that for a second? I'm going to look at that more in depth next week. But I want you to think about that for a second. And he was doing it through the crushing work of false doctrine in the bride of Christ. Who was doing it? It was the doctrine of demons. And yet God was allowing it to keep Paul humble. You ever think about that? Think about that for a second. God is allowing demons in the church to keep the apostle to the Gentiles humble? Yeah. Let me give you another text. Toward the end of his ministry, he wrote what um, some people call the pastoral epistles. Uh, I don't know where they call them that. I call it two letters to the churches in Ephesus that Timothy was going to read. Let me show you something. 1 Timothy chapter 4. This letter would have been written around 63 to 66 AD, somewhere in there. The Spirit to Timothy. The Spirit explicitly says, In the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisies of liars, sear their own conscience as with a branding iron. Paul's telling Timothy, be on guard for this. Where? In the church. In the church. Paul's concern. Paul's Concern for the church, the weakness in the church, the sin in the church was part of the torment. One of the things that I've noticed about false teaching that is consistent through all history, all of history. Okay. If you go look at Balaam. All right. Baal wanted Balaam to lead the children of Israel away from the true God. Balaam was no dummy. He says, I ain't doing that. God will come after me. I don't want no, no other part of that. Okay, so what did he do? Sexual sin. That's what he led him to. That's when they started marrying outside of the Jewish nation. Why? I don't want to get into it with God and false doctrine, but I will lure them into immorality. Guess what? He had pretty good success with it. Why? Think about it. How hard is that? I mean, that is not a difficult challenge. God was allowing Paul to be tormented by a demon. Listen, brothers and sisters, I have been in Castle Rock since 1979. Yeah, 79. Okay, I've been in this church for uh, 30, 30, 35 years, something like that. 
Okay? I've been in Castle Rock for a long time is what I'm trying to tell you. And there's something that's in Castle Rock that is growing and nobody's paying attention to it. Okay? And I've seen it since I've been here. All right? It's always been here. Okay? It's getting a little louder now. Okay? It's mysticism. And the church is embracing it. I mean, I've seen it all over the place. It takes all kinds of form. I remember a lady one time told me that Messiah was coming back and he was going to be a white buffalo. I knew that. Everybody knew that. I mean, that's stupid. But she's involved in a church right now here in town. There are lesbians in, what do they call those things? Worship teams now. And everybody in the church knows it. But that's all right. They're not in leadership. My drummer run off with my, left his wife and run off with the lead singer's wife. And we had to set him down for a while. That's just not appropriate. But it's okay. They divorced. And so now they can get together and we don't mind if they're up front anymore. What? Who thought that up? Okay. They want to have a conference of pastors here in Castle Rock. And how do we deal with our people now that they can smoke pot? All right. And my question to all of them was, you get any of you guys smoke pot? Nope. Never before. Uh-uh. Huh. And you're going to be an expert in what? In this town, we have people who are worshiping angels, who are, I remember a lady wanted to teach me how, she says, you're surrounded by angels. I said, yeah, I know. (laughs) And uh, she says, you know, I can quickly teach you how to control them. And I said, I don't need to. She said, well, why not? And I says, I know their boss. I let him deal with it. Listen, there are a lot of spe- foolish people running around in this town and they're talking to demons. They're casting out demons. They're binding demons. They're commanding de- demons. And they... Do you know that that's impossible? Okay. All right. So even if they could, how do you know that you're not going to run a, the very one God has brought into that person's life? Paul asked three times for this demon to be removed from him. And God says, my grace is sufficient. How do you know that that person who's being affected by a demon, God didn't do it because they got too much pride? How do you know that? How do you know that God ain't doing it to prove to Satan true salvation? And you're going to run it off? Really? I think not. You know what? A bit of advice. I would advise that we stay out of that realm. Okay? If you want to get in that realm, leave me out of it. Because I don't want no part of it. There are times that God uses demons to achieve His purposes in the life of believers. There's times that God Himself uses Satan to achieve his purposes. If I go back and look at the history of Israel, you know, we were talking, 
go back. You go see what's going on in the Middle East right now with the Syrians. We used to call them the Assyrians. Okay, the Babylonians, you call them the Iraqis or the Persians. We call them the Iranians. What they're doing, well, they're cutting people's heads off. And they've been doing that for a long time. The Assyrians used to, you know them as Syrians, used to take newborn babies and stick them in the cornerstone of a new house to keep evil spirits away. Brilliant. Had that thing crying until it died. Okay. These are the same people. They ain't nothing changed. They just got oil money now. They can get automatic rifles. It's the same people. All right. And yet God would use those people to punish the disobedience of Israel. What? People who were into child sacrifice. I will use to judge my nation. And we should be so shocked. We have to get a hold of this, people. God's purpose is sometimes he doesn't let us know. You ever read Job? You know what's amazing about the book of Job? The thing that hits me the hardest about the book of Job? He never tells Job why. He never says, I did this because I was going to show Satan a lesson. He never says it. His question was, were you there when I threw the stars into the heaven? Shut up. Quit your belly aching. Good Lord. All right. But he never did tell him. At least Peter, Satan wants to shake you and see what falls off. Don't worry. When you've been restored, you'll be able to strengthen the brethren. See, he told Peter, this is what's going to happen. You're going to biff it. Big time. That's Hebrew. <laughs> okay? But don't worry, you'll be restored. He didn't tell Job. You know what? And I think after you talk to a tornado or a whirlwind, probably don't really care. <laughs> he didn't tell me. I ain't going to worry about it. Then I look at the nation of Israel and I think of the vile countries that took them captive because of their disobedience. And I think about the Apostle Paul here who has a demon from Satan to stake his prideful flesh so he wouldn't exalt himself. All right? So be careful. I know people want to have these great ministries. Really? Have you got your pride in such a place that you don't have to be nailed to a wall? Because perhaps the reason you're not being used is that you ain't got your pride in place. It could be something that simple. We will look a little more into this next week because I think that we have bought into this Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Absolutely. But Jesus also has purposes. And you can either get on with his plan or take a walk around Mount Sinai. And if he has to keep walking for 40 years, perhaps he won't let your shoes wear out. All right. Or he can send a demon to torment you. 
to keep you humble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. He still amazes me. And Lord, I pray that even now you help us. First, stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, help us to seek the things in heaven, not the things on earth. Help us to understand your ways are not our ways. And yet, Father, your purposes will only bring glory to you. And Father, let us be a part of being part of your glory here in a lost and dying world. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, what he means to my life. I thank you that, um, you know, we are multiple generations removed from Paul, and yet most of us are fruit of the Apostle Paul. Gentiles. Thank you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. And help us to understand that uh, your grace is sufficient and that you will use suffering for your glory and purposes. In Christ's name, amen.